0: Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 23, Call Upon His Name, Yahweh Sabaoth, Part 1. As we have discussed, our goal in studying the names of God is twofold. One, to know our King so well that we become fully convinced based on all the facts that we would be ridiculous to put our trust in anything or anyone else, especially in ourselves. And two, to be fully convinced that all our decisions, no matter how trivial, must be made based on the reality of the character and nature of our king, which has been revealed by the name. His name is to be the filter through which we pass all things, all thoughts, emotions, experiences, and so on. This name, Yahweh Sabaoth, is one of my favorites because it's just so freaking cool. And for me at least, it has broken down the door of fear I had for the enemy and shined the light on something the enemy wants so desperately to keep hidden. And that is the truth that they, every last single one of them, are servants of our God and servants of every true child of God. How cool is that? Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh of heaven's armies. This name translated Lord of Hosts or Lord of Heaven's Armies is used 239 times in the Old Testament, and it is the most used compound name referring to Yahweh. But what is most fascinating about this name is what it reveals about the behind-the-scenes workings of the kingdom of God all throughout the spiritual realms. Jesus is the commander of Heaven's Armies. Let's, let's be clear about what this name is stating about Yahweh. Jesus claims that all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth, and all things have been handed over to him by his Father. We are also told that he is the Lord, Kyrios in Greek and Adonai in Hebrew. He is the Lord of all, whether dead or living. In addition, he is the head and rule over all authority, as angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. For the Father has seated him. At his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Therefore, what this name declares is that the good angels and the demonic angels, all the evil beings, they work for Yahweh. They all do what he commands and are all subject to him. By the way, this is consistent with what we have learned in our study of Yahweh Adonai, as there are no rogue or free agents, just servants, subject to Yahweh's strict administration. In this study, we will peek into the great assembly of God where Yahweh makes decisions about the peoples of the earth. We'll find that he dispatches his angels, including the demonic spirits, out from the assembly with specific instructions to accomplish his authorized purposes. Without his specific approval, they simply cannot act. Even the devil works for Yahweh. He is just a tool in the hands of God. Yes, Lucifer, who is known as Satan, the devil, the dragon, the serpent, Leviathan, and probably many more names that we do not know, he works for Yahweh. He is Yahweh's servant. The great cosmic irony, however, is that the good angels know they are carrying out Yahweh's purposes, and they rejoice in their service to Him. Yet it seems the demonic angels do not fully comprehend this truth. They are deceived, and seem to believe that they are running to a different tune altogether, a totally different agenda. Nevertheless, Yahweh Mekodeshkim, Yahweh Ra, and Yahweh Kana use these terrible beings to accomplish Yahweh's purifying and beautiful purposes in our lives. Hence, we are told that they are all ministering angels sent one way or another to serve his chosen ones as Yahweh Sabaoth commands. What does this mean for us? It means that we are to have no fear of these spirits for the one who created all things commands each one of them to work on our behalf, to complete his good purposes in our lives. As far as the name, Sabaoth, It refers to a mass of beings gathered for war, an army. Hence, in our translations, we read that Jesus is the Lord of heaven's army. Again, every good angel and every demonic angel are part of his army. And they all work for Jesus, who is Lord, who is Adonai of all. And although the enemy may not fear us, it is good to know that they are terrified of their master Yahweh Sabaoth, who lives in us as Yahweh Shammah. Therefore, if we are now believing and standing firm in our faith, and as Yahweh is free to take up more and more territory in our being, the enemy will flee from us, for they must obey their master. The Armies of Heaven It is generally understood that Yahweh has myriads and myriads of angels ministering to him. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. They are all at Yahweh's beck and call. The picture many of us have in our minds is that Jesus and the angels are up in heaven, swords drawn, ready to vanquish evil, waiting for a child of God to call upon them so they can sweep in and quickly dispatch the unseen workers of evil. And while that may happen, it's only part of the story. Yahweh Sabaoth is the commander of all the armies of heaven, both good and bad. We see this dynamic clearly in the story of King Ahab. The Great Assembly We know from a plethora of scriptures that Yahweh has these celestial staff meetings on the mountain of God. From this high and lofty place, he calls forth his assembly and reviews what the angelic beings are up to, including Satan and all his various demonic beings. It is in this great assembly, which is also referred to as the council or the courtroom of God, is where Satan brings accusation against God's people. This seems to be what Jesus alludes to when he says that whoever insults his brother is in danger of being brought before the court or the council. In Yahweh's angelic chambers, decisions are made regarding the people of the earth, and angels are dispatched, including demonic spirits out from the assembly with specific instructions to accomplish Yahweh's authorized purposes. It's truly bizarre. Let us look at the -the behind-the-scenes spiritual workings on the mountain of God leading up to the demise of King Ahab of Israel. 2 Chronicles 18, 18 18-22 Micaiah said, Therefore hear the words of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right and on his left. Yahweh said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before Yahweh and said, I will entice him. And Yahweh said to him, How? He said, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and prevail also. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, Yahweh has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these prophets, for Yahweh has proclaimed disaster against you. You might have been rolling your eyes at the introduction, not fully convinced of what I said, but based on this passage, we definitively know that any reference to all hosts of heaven does not just include good angels, since a deceiving spirit came forth from the assembly, stood before Yahweh, and recommended the plan of action which Yahweh approved against King Ahab and his prophets, a plan that was built on a lie. Thus all the hosts of heaven, or all the armies of heaven, are references to both the good angels as well as the bad, evil, or demonic beings. In this encounter, Yahweh had proclaimed disaster on King Ahab, and this demon put forth the plan through which Ahab's demise would be carried out. And it involved lying to Ahab's prophets, as only a skilled demon could do. Yahweh's approval and empowerment required. We can conclude that demonic spirits are not free to do just whatever they want. Rather, they need two things to act. Number one, God's specific approval of the plan. And number two, Yahweh's empowerment of the plan. In other words, the declaration that their plans would succeed. Without his word, they could not act. And even if they could, which the name Yahweh Sabaoth and Yahweh Adonai indicates that they cannot, they would not succeed. Thus, it is clear from this passage that every angelic being and every demonic angelic being works for Yahweh and only does what he allows or directs. With that said, the success Yahweh permits allows them to carry out their plan. But it does not guarantee that the results they are seeking will occur as they hope it will. As we understand from the life of Job, for example, Yahweh tends to have his own plan and purposes for their plan and their methodology. And Yahweh's plans never fail. Now, to the surprise of most believers, even Satan, Lucifer himself, works for Yahweh. Satan is not an independent agent waging a war against the purposes of Yahweh, although that is what he wants us to believe, and it is the lie that most believers have swallowed. But the truth is that he is just a tool. That is it, just a tool. Satan works for Yahweh's Sabaoth just like the other angels. For example, Jesus once told Peter that Satan had demanded permission to sift him like wheat. This means that as the accuser, who accuses the brethren before God day and night, he found reason to bring accusation against Peter, probably because of his pride. And Satan literally sought out the right to sift him like wheat by asking, or as translated demanded, Yahweh to let Peter be tried. And to our surprise, Yahweh gave Satan permission to come directly against Peter. The point is that Satan first had to seek and obtain permission from Yahweh. Another example is when Yahweh called Satan into the assembly and asked him if he, Satan, had considered Yahweh's servant Job. It is one of the most revealing and shocking stories that lets us peek behind the veil of our reality into the unseen realms. Job chapter 1 verse 6 through 12. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before Yahweh and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? Yahweh asked Satan. Satan answered Yahweh, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then Yahweh asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to Yahweh, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, Yahweh said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left Yahweh's presence. As with the story of King Ahab, Yahweh granted, one, specific approval of the plan, and two, empowered the plan, and he set a strict limitation on what Satan was permitted to do. Yahweh, he let Satan be creative, but he would not let Satan harm Job physically. Now, the story goes on to say that Satan brought horrible disasters upon Job to steal away practically every tangible person and thing from Job. Satan enticed foreign invaders to attack. He caused fire to fall from the heavens and burn up Job's sheep and the shepherds. And he caused a tornado to crash down on the home of his children. And he killed them all. It was awful. All Satan left was Job's wife, who told him that he should just curse God and die. Thank you for that one, Satan. But Job still humbly worshipped Yahweh. So this led to a follow-on encounter at, at another meeting of the Great Assembly. Job chapter 2, 1-7. through seven. One day, the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before Yahweh, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? Yahweh asked Satan. Satan answered Yahweh. I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then Yahweh asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity, even though you urge me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to Yahweh, Skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with them as you please, Yahweh said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left Yahweh's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. The second scene is much like the first one, where we see that Yahweh gave specific approval of Satan's plan and he empowered the plan and set limits on the plan. What is really disturbing, however, is that in both scenarios, it was God who started this banter over Job's life. And it is Yahweh who took personal responsibility for harming Job. Yes, God owned it all. Satan did not come to the heavenly court with some accusation seeking permission to attack Job. Rather, Satan had just been roaming the earth. And God is the one who prompted Satan to focus on Job. However, in this spiritual drama, God had great plans for Job. Plans which would involve him encountering God and getting to know Yahweh like never before. These plans would more than confirm Job's faithfulness to God, despite his tremendous pain. And in so doing, shame all the heavenly hosts of wickedness. What is odd is that it seems that Satan did not understand that God holds all the cards. Satan arrogantly thought that all it would take is some deep wounding and Job's faith would cave. But the faith in the heart of Job was rock solid. Instead of cursing God, we find that he worshipped Yahweh. In fact, Job said that all his complaints about his suffering were ignorant compared to what he learned about God. He said it was beyond wonderful in comparison. This spiritual dynamic is fascinating. Yahweh knows what he's going to do and what it will produce in our lives. Yet he uses the enemy as a tool to accomplish his work. And the enemy seems ignorant of Yahweh's plans and purposes. In the case of Job and that of Peter, Satan takes the challenge, hoping to crush the people of God with defeat and shame. And what is even more interesting is that in the instance of Job, throughout all his suffering, Job never blamed Satan nor his demons. Rather, he blamed Yahweh for all his tragedy. He knew who was truly responsible. He said, for the Almighty has struck me down with his arrows, and he has sent his poison arrows deep within my spirit. All God's terrors are arranged against me. Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O Watcher of Humanity? Why have you made me your target? And what is even more surprising is that God affirmed that Job had spoken right about him. Throughout tragedy after tragedy, Job understood that Yahweh was in control of everything, all the time, even over the devilish agents through which his suffering came. This name, Yahweh Sabaoth, should bring us great comfort. I mentioned before that this dynamic of the spiritual world is one of great cosmic irony because the good angels know that they are carrying out Yahweh's purposes. But it seems that the demonic angels do not quite understand this truth. The demons always seem far too anxious to run to do their work, believing that they can hurt and damage Yahweh's chosen ones. But Yahweh has planned it all in advance and uses all of it, both the successes and the failures of his chosen ones, to make them more like Christ. We must remember that Yahweh Adonai sits outside of time and already knows how we are going to respond to each set of circumstances he prescribes for our lives. It is how he accomplishes the design point in his chosen ones, while at the same time, it's how he seals those in death who have decided to now and continually reject his love. After all, Yahweh is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Thus all things originate with him, that would include every single test and trial that we face, and all things end with him. He is the source and completion, the progenitor and the fruition of all matters. For from him and through him and to him are all things. I don't know about you, but it brings me so much rest to know that he knows in advance how I will respond to every single test and trial that he has ordained for my life. What a blessing it is to know that he intentionally uses even all my failures, as well as my successes, to bring forth the design point in my life. And he will continue until I reach the point where I can legitimately declare, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. With that said, I do not like the fact that Yahweh Sabaoth uses the bad angels who are terrible and hateful. However, I am thankful that I do not have to fear them, as they are just the tools Yahweh has chosen to reach the places deep in my soul that Yahweh Mekodeshkim and Yahweh Kana want to reach and possess. In this regard, Satan and the demons are a gift to believers. They are a blessing in our lives for they are the perfect tool in the hands of our loving Yahweh to accomplish all his good, pleasing, and perfect will in our lives. Yes, even the devil and his demons are good. Now, I'm quite sure that is not something you hear about very often. However, this truth is why we are told that we can be thankful in all things. Fearing the enemy. It seems that far too many people fear the enemy. Sure. They are an unseen force, and they are filled with hate and wickedness, and they do some terrifying stuff. But truth be told, they are around us all the time. If we could see into the unseen realms, we would realize that they have their own society and culture that is embedded within ours. So when they do manifest themselves into our physical realm, it should not surprise us. Again, just like the good angels, they are a tangible though unseen part, of our day-in and day-out lives. Moreover, they are necessary. Again, they are simply the agents which Yahweh uses to bring forth from our lives and into our consciousness areas that he as Yahweh Kana wants to possess. It's important to always remember that even the demonic angels are our servants. They're not independent rogue agents who have the power to hurt us indiscriminately. All things they do must pass through the great assembly of Yahweh. Therefore, we can be confident that every expression or manifestation in our lives of these demonic beings is an appointment by our Father, by our God, and as part of his plan A for our lives. And it is for our benefit and for our good. Now, as we close this episode, I want us to think about this amazing and startling truth. All the angels, even the demonic, nasty, and evil creatures are ministering spirits, sent out to render service to those who will inherit salvation. Our God is beyond brilliant. The way the seen and the unseen worlds connect and work together is nothing short of phenomenal. And to think that it is all for you and for me. It's all for those who want to know him by his name, Yahweh Sabaoth. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R-mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.